All right, welcome back to another episode of Eurotrack, where I'm joined by co-host Katie Scheid. In this episode, we are previewing the 126K race at Trans Grand Canaria, which I am very, very excited about. The more I research and talk to people and generally get a sense of what it's all about and where it fits into the scene, it's just so cool. And uh, Katie, you are actually over there right now, I believe, getting ready to race the VK. What are your initial impressions of the environment and uh in the vibes pre-race pre pre-festival yeah well it's good to see you again finn even though i'm in a different place than normal um but yeah it's fun to be actually on site here for this although i wish we could have caught up after the race when i have even a better sense of the race but um yeah i would say first impressions are similar to some of the other canary islands that i've visited this is my first time on grand canaria yeah um but a little less vegetated than Tenerife or something like Madeira, which is not a Canary Island, but um, a little farther north. And with, there's a lot more uh, vegetation there. Although I've only been in one part of the island so far, and I've been told that there are more trees and vegetation in other areas. So mm. first impression, classic, great Spanish welcome. Everyone's happy. There's sun. It's warm. I think everyone's just kind of happy to be outside in t-shirts and shorts and kind of relaxing a bit. It's really interesting the timing of the year for this race. I've heard secondhand from people like Nuria Picas, who says that Trans Grand Canaria is this huge race for Spanish ultra runners. And I think generally it is a big race on the European calendar in general, but then you run into this sort of conundrum where uh, if you are a two sport athlete, if you are a skier, if you have a schemo season, uh, this is just an awkward time of the year to train if you can train at all specifically. Is that sort of the vibe you get as well? Like it, it does attract, you know, talented runners, but there is sort of a split and there are runners that like might sign up for UTMB that just aren't there like yourself uh, in February. Yeah, I think it's a kind of a mix of different things. Um, yeah, what I was saying before we hit record was that what Grand, Trans Grand Canaria has going for it is that it's in February. Yeah. But that's also what it has working against it. So it's a, it's an interesting position to be in because they're not competing with any other major race right now. It's not like the Western States Lavaredo 90K du Mont Blanc weekend. Yeah. So if you're looking for a race in this time period, this is the race to do. But if you're someone who's targeting bigger races later in the season, yeah. um, I think it doesn't fit in a traditional sort of build up where maybe you do a 50 or hundred K in the spring and then maybe look at a longer race like UTMB later in the summer or even Western state. Well, I guess it could maybe work for Western States, but it's honestly almost the same amount of time as Western States. It's in yeah. the same time range, but yeah, for, I would say for most of the athletes in the Alps, it doesn't not, not just because someone is necessarily a two sport athlete. They're, actually aren't that many people who are really two sport athletes who are really competing at the highest level of trail running mm -hmm. and competing at the, actually the only person competing at the highest level of world cup schema racing and trail running is Remy Bonet. Yeah, um, true. so there, the, of course, world cup isn't the only type of schema racing. Um, like, for example, the reason that my partner Jamal is not here is because he's preparing for longer races like Pyramento, Tour de Retour, um, 
someone like Francois or um, there's a lot of French athletes who are still doing ski races, but maybe not at the same level at which they compete at trail running races. Um, but beyond that, I would say it's just really hard to train in the Alps for running in the winter because you, you Mm. can't run. Um, we don't have like packed snow trails like you find in the U S so you're either on skis or you're running on a road or treadmill or somewhere at the bottom of the valley. It's not that interesting. (laughs) So I would say people are one like saving their, you know, kind of peak form or like real dedicated motivation for later in the year, or they just, yeah, just don't want to be training that much in December, January, because those are the, the races now, but you have to think back like two, three months to when people would begin training for this. So that would be, yeah, November until now, which I would say traditionally is kind of like the off time. That's the theme of late too on the show. Like we just did a bunch of content around the Black Canyon 100K and to a lesser extent, American runners deal with that challenge too of the trade-offs of like, when do I start my season? Uh, How much time do I have in my schedule to work backward from that race and sort of be ready to compete at an elite level. It's, it's an interesting challenge. Um, a couple other sort of notable points that I, that I came across just in research and having followed the race for a couple of years now, it's been on my radar since I run far. I mean, Brian and Megan have been going over there for, uh, many, I think dating back to like 2014 or 2015. Like I just watched a old Anton Krupichka pre-race interview for the, for the event from 2015, which was cool. Um, this is truly an international race on, on the website. They said there are 60 to 70 nationalities represented every single year, which is amazing. I don't know how that compares to other global races like UTMB, maybe, maybe close to par there, but um, that's exceptional. Uh, there will be a live stream this year. So we'll link to that in the show notes. I, I watched it last year. It was excellent. And then it's also, I think new this year, it's part of the world trail majors, which if people are not familiar yet, brings together sort of a, a bunch of bucket list races across the world, like Ultra Trail Cape Town, Black Canyon, Hong Kong 100K. And then in this series for like the top athletes that we'll talk about in a moment, their best two results from inside the series count towards their ranking and the top 20 in each of these races get points. So that's cool. There's prize money as well. Um, Are there any other sort of like just notables about the race, the culture that, uh, that excite you before we kind of get into like course stats and analysis? Yeah, I would just say in general, it is a pretty big race, definitely in Spain. I would, I wouldn't put it at the same level as the importance of Diagonal des Fou in France, but up there, like, I think it gets a ton of coverage on Spanish media that we probably miss even in France. Um, because of the language difference and obviously in the U.S. So, um, I, yeah, for for the Spanish trail running media community, definitely a super big race. Um, and it's something we always follow in France, too. I mean, it's really kind of – it feels like the start of, quote-unquote, season of ultra running. Um, it's kind of where everyone – yeah, it, it feels like the first big race that you follow, kind of. I don't I don't know if that explains it well enough. I guess Black Canyon this year because um, obviously I was following that a little bit closer because I know a little bit more about the American running scene. Um, but this is kind of the big like mountain ultra that 
the first one that everyone starts following. And it used to be part of Ultra Trail World Tour um, back in back in the day. So that was something we followed at that time too. Quick break to thank Knack for supporting the show. Knack is the official nutrition partner of Single Track, and you've heard me talk a lot about their mission, their products, and why I'm into what they're doing. But one thing I haven't talked a lot about that I'm pretty excited on are their race-specific nutrition quizzes. Uh, these exist on their website, and you know, with races like the Black Canyon 100K on the near horizon, you can take these quizzes, enter all your relevant information like height, weight, sweat rate, race day goals, and it formulates a nutrition plan right down to the precise aid stations on each of these courses. It's awesome. Go check it out for yourself at knack.com. And while you're there, if you end up buying some product, feel free to use code SINGLETRACK15 at checkout for 15% off your next order. Maybe one last thing for me. This is sort of a nerdy marketing shout out to the World Trail Major Trans Grand Canaria teams, but I loved those Instagram like phone notifications that they made for athletes like you introducing like we've just brought this athlete in to do the race. I thought those were pretty unique and it kind of stopped me in my scrolling tracks that that was well done. Yeah, that was (laughs) it. Yeah, (laughs) that was um, humorous. (laughs) But yeah, moving on to sort of like course analysis, I love these kinds of races where you have a route that logically traverses a geographic feature. Like the obvious one for me is Mount Blanc with UTMB that just makes like logistical sense. In this case, it's an entire Island happens at Transvolcania too. other races. Um, you get to travel to a foreign land. That's awesome. There's high level competition. You still run long, but it's not quite the, the pounding of like a hundred mile mountain effort. So that's all pretty cool. Uh, I made a couple calls to like Tyler Green, Jimmy Elam, Mike McMonagall, people that have done the race that kind of gave me really good course intel. But uh, you're there on the ground. Before I kind of get into my notes, is there anything about this course that really immediately comes to mind for you that you want to share with the audience? Um, no, I would say the first thing is what what interests me about the race is that it is a logical route. And that's something I uh, appreciate about races. Uh yeah, it's something that I actually look for when I'm like signing up for a race is like, is this just some squiggles around in circles to make an exact 100 mile 100k route? Or is this something that actually makes sense? And yeah, there are great examples of that, like UTMB, Maxi Race, um, all of the island crossing races are usually in that same uh, style. So yeah, that's something I'm excited about. I think it just makes sense. And yeah, it, instead of just trying to hit a certain number of kilometers or miles, it's it feels more like there's an objective. If for anyone out there, like viewers and listeners that watched the live stream in past years, you know how cool the course is. You'll recognize like there's famous checkpoints like Terror and Artenera and Tejada and that summit. I think it's called um, Roque Nublo. If I mispronounce that, I apologize. Where you can on clear days on the live stream, you can see the whole island, which is super cool. Um, it's the island is right. It's 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 Grand Can- Grand Grand Canaria, um, off the coast of like the northwestern African continent. So like Morocco's nearby, Western Sahara is nearby for reference point. I think the environment is super interesting and um, just like different at various points. Like you start and finish on beaches by the ocean, and then like terrain wise and scenery wise it's pretty strikingly different throughout like it can be volcanic in some areas it can be very forested and alpine in other areas um throughout it's pretty rocky um i was was talking with tyler green last night and he said like 
there is this arid feel to it. There is this volcanic feel to it. But then like you do get to points like in the the middle 50K section where there's a bunch of up and down climbing where it gets very like Pacific Northwest temperate rainforest type vibes. So yeah, I, I mean, those are some of the immediate uh, like takeaways on the course for me. But I think the other thing, and this is where I would love to get your take is like, it's a midnight start. I know you have a lot of experience with this type of start time um, from your your you know efforts at Lavaredo. Do you find this to be challenging and, and debilitating in any way? Or do you see it as more of an advantage where you have less darkness to work with and you can kind of like finish firmly in the second half in daylight? Um, yeah, first I would say I was also in the car with Caitlin Gerben um, this morning and she echoed the same reviews as Tyler that it's kind of a mix of everything. You got to run in some places, you have to hike in some places and it's constantly changing. So um, yeah, it's not, it's not really defined by one type of running really, I guess. Um, but for the question about the night start, yeah, this is one of those special races where at least for the first men, half of the race is at night. Uh, and then after that, it's almost half the race is still at night for, for the next people. So yeah, it makes it pretty particular because you start having not slept for, maybe more than yeah for yeah a whole day um and in some ways that's super hard in some ways some people really like that because it does bring a lot of energy to the start because the spanish stay up really late anyway so they're basically all partying um in the streets at the start apparently the start is insane i will witness it for myself this weekend but i've heard that it's it's a huge party um so that's plus side. Um, otherwise you have to be really comfortable with night running and be okay with that. Like I often find that midnight to, to sunrise is kind of the hardest part of an overnight race, like something like UTMB. And so you kind of start at the worst, that worst time period. So you have to be able to get through that (laughs) and then, uh, get through the next day too. So it's actually quite tricky if, it's not something you're used to, but because you start at midnight, the night actually isn't that long. Like you're not doing a full, I don't know, 10, 12 hours. You're just, I think the sunrise this morning was around seven. So they're going to have like seven hours, seven hours yeah. in the dark. So the sunrise is never that far away, but you're also kind of in that, that tough part of the night. And it also seems like that just based on like the Strava profiles I looked at and some of the splits, it it seems like that first 20 to 30 K that like 12 AM to 3 AM time span. That's like the one part of the race where if you did train for turnover, like that's the one place you need running economy. I saw a lot of the lead men, lead women last year running like at or below six minute pace for the first like 13 to 15 miles. It was pretty wild. And like, some people will push harder in this section because it's 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 less like the roller coaster climbs and descents in the middle part. You're kind of like gradually uh, working your way towards the the mountainous sections in that like logical way we were uh, kind of highlighting earlier. So interesting that like when I look at the first like 30, 40 K of the race, it's, it's that like if you were going to be training running economy, that's where you'd want it. But then um, moving into like the middle part of the course, the part that I know Caitlin talked about in her, um, her 20, I think it was her 2020 post 
I run far interview when she won the race. Like that was the section that she really took advantage of. She made her moves to ultimately win the race. And similar to what Tyler said, environment wise, you start to get into like that conifer section. There's a lot more green, a lot more moisture. Um, and, and it's roller coaster like. So I love that, like, and we can talk about this, you know, now if we want, but like, I love that for this race, you have to be a complete competent trail runner. Like there are times to hike, there are times to run. Uh, you need to have downhill legs in that last part. Like you need to have every single part of your system as an elite athlete firing to be successful here. It doesn't weigh, um, throughout the race into any particular skill set, which I find fascinating. Yeah. And, um, Courtney also said the same thing about the first, yeah, 30, it looks like around the first 30 K. Um, she said it was a lot of just kind of getting out of the, the coastal villages, cities. Um, and it was a lot of like dirt road, fast running, not that interesting. So maybe it's fine that it's at night. Actually, they're not missing that much. Um, yeah. And she said until maybe the first 30 K is when it, you, you really start maybe the more traditional trail running. So, uh, yeah, I think that is where people can either burn themselves out or conserve energy if they're already skilled at running fast. So that makes sense to me. Um, I remember in our last episode, we were talking about Grand Raid and her performance there and how effectively she came to the race and on-sited it with little to no recon. Do you, do you know whether she's spent much time on the course either this year in prep or uh, ahead of last year's event, or is she just this like supremely talented runner who can on-site and, and register just amazing performances? Um, I don't know how much she's been on the course this year. She's definitely been on the island, so I'm sure she's been on parts of it. And then, of course, she did the race last year, so that's a big recon in one go. But you don't often remember things from the race itself, especially when it's at night. Um, I imagine she's been on parts of the course. I mean, there's there's a lot of trails here, but it would make sense to to see some of it again. And a lot of the course is actually already on some of the more scenic trails, so it makes sense. And apparently they haven't changed. Uh, they only changed uh, like a 3K section this year. Um, it might be a little bit faster. Apparently it miss, it's missing a, a small climb. Yeah, and it does seem like there have been small but somewhat significant changes like year over year, and it's hard to kind of compare. Yeah, I think it's really hard. I It's really hard to compare times from any trail race ever. I, I personally think that like course records are not really that relevant and because almost every race changes their route even by a little bit. And even when you see it on just if you were to write out the stats, it doesn't match how that affects the time. Like for, for example, mute, they changed the route, I think two years ago. And the, the final stats are very similar, but the, the newer course runs significantly faster because they just the way that they moved the trail and the type of trail it took. So I find it really hard to speak about course records when these races are constantly changing small pieces and you don't know what the weather is. And um, yeah, but anyway, that's a side note. Uh, interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's, I mean, do you think not to go too far off, but do you think that generally the, it, sh it should be less of a talking point in preview episodes to focus on times from past years and historical performances and maybe lean more into like the interplay between runners and just general competition? 
Yeah, for sure. I don't think time, like for sure in some circumstances you could say, okay, if, if it's generally the same course, maybe it's different by a little bit and somebody's time is two hours faster then yeah. yeah, of course that makes sense. But when we're looking, when we're comparing something down to like even half an hour, 20 minutes, that's for me, it's still within the range and it doesn't make sense to say that it's yeah. Course record, even a race like UTMB, which technically is supposed to be the same race route every year. They actually change it every year. Um, there should be no talk of, of <laughs> this is my hot take. There should be no talk of course <laughs> records at UTMB. We're clipping this. <laughs> yeah. Cut this out. People are going to not like me. There's, there should be talk of course record at UTMB. It changes all the time. Every year they make small changes. Mm. And, cool. No, I've, I've, I've made a note maybe to, uh, bring this up in a future long run archives episode. But, um, the one last part of the course that I want to mention, cause I, to me, this is actually the most interesting part of the course. Cause I, I in my opinion, it's probably one of the hardest things to train for, but like the last four, 30 to 40 K ish, it's characterized by like extremely long and technical descending. I think with few exceptions, it's harder than anything. Most American runners will do on a regular basis in training on their home turf. It's super long descent. I think it's in most years, it's broken up by a few short, like five to 600 foot climbs, but generally it's, it's pretty bonkers. Like you, if you don't have the, um, like the eccentric leg strength for it, you're, you're pretty screwed. And you also have to be pretty mentally engaged too. Cause from what like Tyler was saying and Jimmy was saying, and Mike, like every step is pretty consequential. It's this mix of like awkward steps, these like baby head rocks, you're in and out of these pretty uneven Creek beds. So to be able to run those last like 12 to 15 miles of pretty technical descending after climbing 18 to 20,000 feet of vert in the prior 60 miles like that. I don't know how you'd train that, you know, in preparation. So it's just, it's an amazing feat to have seen someone like, you know, Tyler green close so hard last year and work his way into third place after just like putting in all that work in the first you know, 12, 13 hours. So I don't know if you have thoughts there, but like that, this to me, it's almost like Transvolcania too. It just, the ability that I see in some runners in that last part of the race just blows me away. Yeah. I would say, um, I have heard of this infamous, infamous last part. I think you're speaking of like the last, what did you say? The last like 30 or 40 K, but the, the part that's more infamous, at least before I'd even come here or like heard that much about the race was that there's this super long dirt road section in the sun, um, to come back down to the finish line. And apparently that just like cooks people. And this is a place you really have to be able to hold it together because you can easily lose positions if you go from running fast to jogging or just trying to survive. So I, I have heard about this very last section. Um, before that, yeah, it is because you do cross the island, there is a point where you get to the high point and then it's net downhill to the finish line. Yeah. Um, I would say something like Transvolcania is a little bit, I don't want to say easier, just different because it is basically downhill, maybe with like a few little climbs in the middle. Um, and this, there seems to be at like at least a, a couple sections where you need to be able to hike again. Um but yeah, I, I was asking Caitlin how she would describe the how technical the trails are here. Of course, she has like better insight on what an American audience would call technical. And she said she would personally not describe it as 
super technical, but that for an American runner, this would be technical. So somewhere in between <laughs> very technical and not technical at all, I guess. <laughs> very wide range. But um, yeah, no, I mean, the thing with a downhill, though, in the second half is that you don't need to then run again. So you can kind of destroy your legs and then you're done. You don't have to do this huge downhill and then also be able to go back uphill and downhill again. So in a way, it almost favors winter running because you can kind of just you can kind of just go for it at the end. In theory, I'm speaking from someone who has zero experience at this race. So (laughs) maybe people with experience would disagree. But in general, if you're if you're just doing your huge downhill bout at the end of the race, it's not quite the same as if it's in the middle. Um, The next day will be painful, but at least the performance at the end hopefully won't suffer as much. A couple other interesting factors. Even though it's a mountain race, it only tops out at about 5,600 feet, which I don't do public math typically, but I think that's like 1,800 meters. Is that about correct? 1,800? Yeah, yeah, it would be something like that. Yeah. So elevation is not really a factor. Um, no. And then I think one of the benefits of it being a midnight start is I, for the lead men and women, I think the majority of the race will be in the dark and also in the early morning hours when the sun is not much of a factor. So maybe you don't need to be as heat acclimated as you would for a Western state. So I think there are some like reprieves in that sense compared to like just some of the general challenges of the course. Um, yeah. So just interesting race all around, like course wise, before I get into some stats, any, any other just final thoughts on just like the course itself and, um, things to kind of like look out for. Nothing specific. Yeah. It's kind of just a, an ultra with everything. And yeah. And it seems like a great race and I'm really excited to to be there for it this weekend. Maybe I'll convince myself I need to train through December, January next year. Also, thank you to rabbit for supporting the show. Rabbit is the official apparel partner of single track. And you've heard me talk about them over the past two months, but I have become almost an everyday user of their new Cocoon 2.0 product. It's this advanced sweatshirt with a built-in turtleneck that pulls up into a secure hood and breathable face mask. It's got thumbnails and watch windows to keep your hands warm without a fuss and a water-resistant finish and fleecy interior for the most comfortable protection. I wear it on my runs. I wear it while ski mountaineering. It's the real deal. Um, Winter's here, you know? So go check it out if you need to upgrade your kit grab one and use code singletrack20 at checkout when purchasing for 20% off your order. A couple, couple stats here from our friend Aid Station Fireball, who we will uh, we'll link their, their Twitter um, in the show notes. But American pro runner history here is pretty mixed. On the women's side, uh, we've mentioned Courtney and Caitlin. They won in 2020 and 2023, respectively. Abby Hall took second here in 22. On the men's side, it's been more mixed. We've seen podiums from Dylan Bowman and Tyler Green in recent years, also Tim Olson, but um, also like lots of drops or tough days from other strong contenders like Hayden Hawks, Tim Tollefson, Jared Hazen. And on that side, like no no American male has ever won or taken second here. So similar to UTMB, it's been sort of the narrative that uh, I would say the women have had generally more success here. Um, it is like you were saying earlier, it's, it's tough to compare the race year over year, just because the course does change in bits and pieces. Um, yeah, I, I've got some stats on sort of like the winning moves and, and where this race is competitive, but just any general thoughts there? 
yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely the style of race that would maybe um, better highlight the skills of someone from the Alps. Um, of course, the Spanish runners always are very strong there. So, yeah, I think the women, <laughs> the American women, have continued to show up and and uh, compete at the highest level. But I mean, we had Tyler Green on the podium last year. And I think it's also just, it's catching on a little bit more. Although I know that Dylan had come, he came more than once, I believe. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. I feel like it's been on the radar, but um, I think the Spanish are maybe, maybe in a way more motivated because it is a bigger race here maybe it's taken a little bit more as like a target race as opposed to like oh just my first race of the year um but yeah it'll be interesting to see this weekend how that plays out trying to extend because this race is 126 kilometers trying to extend it out to like a a full 100 or like 160 170 kilometers i'm i'm amazed at how fast this race runs for the lead men and women just given the challenges like i think we're going to probably see the men's winner run somewhere around sub 1330. I think if Courtney wins this race, it'll probably be somewhere, you know, below 15 hours. And if we extended that out, I think you would see like sub 17 finishes on the men's side, sub 18 and a half, 19 on the women's side. So it's a slower race than like Western States. If you extended it out to the distance, but slower than UTMB, um, does that surprise you at all that like this, given the challenges, it is, um, it's sort of like caught in between like, like a runner's trail race and like a true mountain race where, you know, that versatility between hiking and running is required. Yeah. I think it's a little particular because it's, I would say it's more technical than UTMB. Um, but the terrain is less steep, so you can still Mm -hmm. run a lot more of the climbs. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of what we keep saying. It's sort of this like hybrid of some runnable stuff, some technical stuff, some some like longer climbs. But from what I've heard, it's never sustained. It's never a really long sustained climb. Um, even in kind of a longer climb that we would see on the profile, there'll be like small uh, ups and downs in the middle. Um, so you can kind of keep a faster rhythm. But it, this is also what Caitlin told me is that this can also burn people because you, when you reach those sections where you do need to run, you need to be able to run. Uh, it's not, you can't just keep walking through a flat section in the middle of your hiking climb. So you kind of have to keep being able to push and like change your speed. And I think it it favors the people who are able to stay in it like mentally and physically, of course. But um, I think you have to be ready to basically ready to run at all times. You can't just kind of like death march it until you feel better again. Great points. Yeah. Um, I think just given historical trends, we should expect the median top 10 men's time to be somewhere around 1425, 1430 on the women's side, 1730 to 1745 ish. Um, on the podiums, we should see like 30 to 45 minute spreads respectively uh, historically in terms of winning moves at the race, you know, if, if we're pegging Courtney as the favorite on the women's side and, you know, someone like a Shen Zhang or Zach Miller or Andreas on the men's side, I think on the women's side, we're going to see 
just based on historical data, a, a move made pretty early, like, you know, within 80K of the race, whereas a lot of the men's winners historically have made that winning move just before or just after um, Rocket Nublo, about 90 to 100K in. So I find that really interesting. And then, yeah, I, I think just those are the two other stats that I wanted to highlight. Um, was there anything else in the data that you found to be interesting that we should mention? Um, no, I think you highlighted all the the points that we have in our nice little data sheet. But yeah, I would my prediction would be that Courtney will take for the women. Courtney will take the lead, if not from the start line. She'll wait. I don't know, maybe twenty k, and then be in the lead the rest of the race. Yeah. Um, and for the men, I what this race is actually quite interesting to follow always every year because it does shake out a lot. Um, from the first aid stations until yeah that middle point or that 80k point um, where it starts to get more technical daylight um that's kind of when people either start to fall apart or find a a second wind so i think for the men we'll see it there's going to be a ton of moving around until Mm. that 80k ish and then even after that you still see the i think yeah the top one two three will kind of settle out around there but then after that you see people moving around a ton on the those like final descents in the sun uh, that you described let's talk about the women's field so storylines who's in it analysis predictions um i'll just leave it the fact that you know looking at the itra index scores for this race there's 14 women in the field with a 670 or above itra index i think this is a pretty deep race um Looking at like contenders for podium and top 10, uh, who sticks out for you? What are some interesting storylines attached? Stuff like that. Yeah, Courtney, we don't, I think uh, she's covered enough. We know who she is. Uh, she won last year. She has experience here. I, I think it's a pretty clear favorite. Um, beyond Courtney, we have, yeah, actually this is going to be interesting because I think the the competition for those spots likely behind Courtney is actually quite tight. Um, Azara and Claudia, of course, stand out. I would peg them as like probably the favorites for the podium. Um, Although, I mean, I I know Azara, I've raced with her before and she's been in the sport for a long time. She knows this race. She knows the Island. Um, I did just like quickly, check her Instagram to make sure she was actually coming and saw that she did a 30 K race last weekend, which I find interesting. Uh, by last weekend, I mean two days ago. So I, I don't know if that was part of her plan and she just did it as like a fun training race, but it stuck out to me as an interesting choice. Um, and Claudia actually uh, speaking to the, the like schemo athletes Claudia actually did some world cup schemo races for Spain this winter, not that long ago. And uh, I was texting her actually a few weeks ago when she was, when she was at some of the schemo races, she was at European champs this year and she was asking me which race I was doing here. And I said the VK and she was like, Oh, that's a smarter choice. So I think she, (laughs) she's maybe a little, hesitant about maybe where her running legs are but i know that she she can train at home she lives in catalonia and can run from home um but she has been doing quite a bit of skiing so that's something to keep in mind and maybe it'll help her a bit in some of the climbing parts but 
hopefully she's got some downhill legs under her too. Um, and yeah, and then beyond that, um, a whole bunch of women who I think there, there's just a lot of women kind of at a similar level. So I think it will be really interesting to see how they play off of each other. And, um, if there's some like groups that form and where they all end up, um, I feel like some of the Americans might know Dominica because she got a golden ticket at Black Canyon two years ago. A uh, Polish runner seems to kind of specialize in like faster, flatter running. Um, so who knows? Like I, I haven't seen anything from her super recently. Um, but uh, she, she's been here before she did the marathon a few years ago. So yeah, someone who will be in the mix. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, you have Yuri, the Japanese runner, who's also been around a while. She was third at OCC in like 2019. Um, she has some good results. She also has some like, looks like harder race experiences. So, um, yeah, beyond that, uh, my next, like, the other woman I'm kind of interested in seeing is, of course, Ida, my teammate. Yeah. Uh, she She's just kind of started getting into longer distances the last two years. Um, she was kind of focused more on, like, marathon distance through 2021. And then um, in 2022, won the Nice uh, 100K. Uh, that was the first year of the race, so that was like a great start for her in, in kind of the longer stuff. Um, I don't think she's done. I think she has one race experience that started in the night or was overnight. So we'll see how that, that can be pretty tricky for a first one or two times. So we'll see how it works out for her. And she was actually here last year for the 80 K and twisted her ankle while warming up for the start of the race. Oh my gosh. So some bad <laughs> luck there. But yeah, um, yeah, and she had a, a solid year last year, so I think she's coming off of a good, a good summer last year. Um, yeah, and then the other two that I wanted to point out was Dominique and Sophie, um, who have both raced here before, both placed in the top ten. Dominique was fifth in uh, last year, and Sophie Grant was ninth in twenty twenty two. Both have like a lot of great results within you know one through ten in in top competitive ultra races so they're always in the mix and i think they're they're reliable um top 10 finishers yeah consistent i would i would say they're gonna be there in the top 10 so that's my brief overview <laughs> i don't know what what you found well I, I like claudia a lot i think she finished she took she was on the podium in 2022 right behind abby hall so i think um I, yeah, I, I weight that pretty significantly that even if she had like a suboptimal buildup to this race, she's, she's a proven, uh, success here, knows the course well, um, has reconned it in that sense. Actually, I think it was 20, it was last year. She was third behind last Jasmine. Year, last year, 23. Okay, but, but, and only like, if I'm remembering correctly, only like six or seven minutes behind Jasmine. So, wow. um, yeah. So yeah, she definitely was like in the race last year. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know the, the Courtney story is retold a lot. I think just looking at her position in the overall race last year, uh, looking at splits, I think early on she was in the mid-20s overall, 
got to the mid teens by mid race, ultimately to finish seventh overall. So just that progression throughout the race, uh, just textbook. Um, it seemed like she just got stronger as the race went on, uh, didn't deal as much with attrition. So I, I just am excited to see what kind of dent she can make in the overall top 10 again this year. Um, hopefully improving on last year's effort. And then, yeah, I would predict to see her in the top. I mean, my five, my stretch prediction is she's definitely in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how, I think a lot of that will also be determined on how much the men sort of kill each other in the first half of the race. Yeah. Yeah. And then the runner that I am maybe the most fascinated by just on how they've constructed their schedule and their experience is Emma Stewart. So one thing that I find interesting is she took third at La Vareda last year. So importantly, she has experienced that midnight start similar to Trans Grand Canaria. Before La Vareda, five weeks before it, she won the Ultra Trail Snowdonia 100 miler, which is a brutally technical race, which tells me um, if she can handle that type of terrain, she should be okay at TGC. After La Vareda, she won Tour de Géant. So she's multifaceted. Like she can do these like extended multi-day things. And then she came out to the island, I believe in December of this past year and reconned the entire course. And she has this Instagram post where she's like, you know, I, I didn't know going in that this course basically had no running water on it. I think she started each day with like a liter and a half of water and she was, you know, pulling off like 20 to 30 mile days in succession. So she's just a tough runner. She's super into orienteering as well. So like in a totally separate conversation, I think she could be a, a great Barkley contender one day. But uh, a lot of the American audience sort of tracked Claire Banworth's season last year. And I feel like in some ways, Emma Stewart is like uh, a modified, lesser but equally impressive version of Claire in the sense that she's multifaceted, can do a lot of these just tough races. And um, I don't know if she'll quite have the speed necessary to like contend for a win, but I could see her as like a podium contender for sure. Yeah. I also had her name um, down because I noticed her Snowdonia result. And that's definitely like kind of the extremes of, (laughs) of technical terrain um, in terms of like ultra running uh, technical terrain. And yeah, I think she can definitely be up there too. She definitely has like, I don't, yeah, she has like pretty consistent results that I would, I would say, I think it's just interesting to see that there's a lot of women around the same, at least on paper, like around this same sort of level. And I think that's going to be an interesting part of the women's races like this podium through, yeah, kind of like that middle top 10 uh, positioning. I think it's going to be pretty tight. I'll give you my podium prediction. So I've got Courtney for the win. Uh, I've got Emma Stewart in second and I've got Claudia in third. What do you got? Oh, I would say Courtney, Claudia second. And then if Azara finishes third, but Azara is quite um, unpredictable in whether or not she finishes when she finishes, she does very well but she often chooses not to finish. Um, uh, third, 
Uh, man, <laughs> I, I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> you can lock in your fantasy free throw pick. I, I'm going to say Ida just because <laughs> she's my teammate. <laughs> man, there's a lot of, well, not just because she's my teammate, but I think she can do that if she, uh, yeah, I, I think it. I think she can do that if she manages a smart race without without going too wild at the beginning, which I don't expect her to anyway. Last up, we have the men's field, and I've got a whole list of notes here to to report on. But first, I have a question for you. So I think the biggest recent news around this field is that Pau Capel, Benyat Marmisol, and Jim Walmsley will not be lining up. All three were strong contenders here. I think the Americans that are listening will be particularly curious about Jim. Do you have any context on on why uh, Jim pulled out that can be publicly shared? Um, I don't have like details. I think he was just making sure he was like really ready to get back to trail running. Um, that's sort of the like gist I got. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I don't. I'll. Well, we can wait until he wants to share whatever his reasoning is, but yeah, it would have been really great to see him here. I am sure he'll want to come back someday. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, yeah, the, as we said earlier, the men's classic, this 126 K race has never been won by an American on the men's side. And many have tried this year. It's a good delegation, uh, being headlined by your teammate, Zach Miller, other teammate, Seth ruling. Um, there's a couple people that I want to run through that I've taken notes on um that i think are our strong contenders for a podium here the first is shen john shang he should be pretty familiar to this audience after his 2023 season second at ccc last year fourth at western states which is an amazing double stocks on the rise coached by jason coop he was here last year he dnf'd the race i think it, it could be the case that the race just sort of got away from him last year i think he was with andrew for a lot of it um but you know he's one year wiser. I think based on Instagram, it looks like he did come out ahead of the race this year to do a bit of recon as well. I love that kind of preparation. So um, Shen is one to watch out for. Obviously, Zach Miller, uh, if you just look on Strava, he hit this four to five week stretch in January where he was running 24 to like 32 hours a week. He was climbing upwards of 40 to 50 K vert a week. He was eating a ton. Um, just the amount of work he was putting in was staggering. And it makes me grateful as a fan that we have Strava to witness all of it. And I feel like, uh, he kind of lives up to the mantra where it's like, if you're running an ultra marathon, you have to be ultra prepared. And so he definitely kind of like lives that out. Um, the, the one question I always have with Zach, although it hasn't always like bit him as, you know, is he selective enough about when he puts that big of a stress on his body? It looked like he took a decent rest after that massive buildup to his rim to rim to rim attempt. So I think he's in a good place, but I think anytime you get to those levels of volume and total workload, you're always kind of playing with a little bit of fire and it's a, you're kind of stepping into the unknown. Seth ruling, I think winning is within his capacity as a runner. I think the only question I have for him is, the distance. I think he's very well proven at 80K and 100K in the mountains. Can he extend the 220K? Um, I actually chatted with him on Instagram before this uh, episode and I was like, dude, like, you know, what are your thoughts on the course? He's like, it's exciting. He says it's not as technical as he thought it was going to be. Um, he said it's super hot, but uh, he's happy that a lot of the race is going to take place in the night and early morning. 
couple others here that I want to mention. Andreas Reiterer has had a lot of success at CCC in the past, a lot of success at the World Trail Championships. Uh, he's podiumed at Transvolcania. I think he's one of the very best in the world. He, he podiumed at the 73K race here last year. Um, you have Andro Simon, who won the race last year. The only question mark I have with Andrew is he's, he, he can be hit or miss in terms of either like landing on a podium at a race or DNFing. And then I think there was one person that our friend Tyler Green wanted me to really emphasize, and that was Miguel Arsenio, who got second here last year. Um, Tyler was just blown away by how he executed that race. You and I are both fans of Aurelian, and I mean, he beat Aurelian at the maxi race last year. I think this guy is super strong. I think he's a contender for the overall win, and I love that his experience here. So, um, I mean, I could name 30 people on the men's side, but uh, those are just a few that I want to put on people's radars. Do you have any comments there or any additions? I think you hit all of my... I actually didn't know that Ben Yacht wasn't here. Um, he was kind of someone I listed down as like to watch to see what's what he's up to. Um, yeah, I would say for me, it's... The the cool thing about Shen um, and Seth being here, they've raced each other at CCC, is, and they both went out quite fast. Um, I'm really interested. And Zach, <laughs> all three of these guys we know like to go fast from the start. And I think that's going to make this a super interesting dynamic because for sure somebody's going to be going quite fast from the gun. And then it's going to be interesting to see how the race evolves around that. If they stay at the lead, if there's some types of explosions, if, yeah, I think this is going to create a really interesting dynamic. I'm not sure if like Seth is planning to go fast from the start. I just know he did that at CCC. Um, Shen for sure is always running quite fast and, knowing that it that the race starts fast um i think kind of plays to his strengths a bit he's he's quite um a good like runner yeah. runner's runner um i'm not sure actually i don't think i've seen of course i know that zach has won like jfk in the past um and can match that like high speed but i actually haven't i'm not sure if he's run any longer races that aren't as uh, mountainous in the last since he's come back from injury. So I got to check that as well. I don't have a great sense of like where he's at with that. But of course, as we talked about, like that first section, I feel like it's where you could lose the race almost. So maybe not being in the front pack there is working for your benefit uh, to just be like more, uh, with it later when when it seems like the moves matter a little bit more um but yeah i think that's going to be interesting and then of course like the whole spanish contention super strong yet yeah, i also was going to point out miguel um well there's two miguels but miguel arsenio who who yeah did beat orleans at, at maxi race and we should also remember that seth ruling also beat or yeah. orleans at maxi race in 2022 um and this is really like I, I don't want to like Orleans is a fantastic runner, a good friend. Um, but this is like really his home race. So to have someone come and beat you there is like kind of saying quite a bit for that other runner. Um, and yeah, so Miguel Arsenio, definitely someone to watch out for. He's 
His Instagram profile says he's 27, so let's go with that. And he looks like he, I would say his social media vibe is very fun and very, um, yeah, just fun. So I think he seems like a cool person to know, and and I think he'll play into the, definitely into the dynamic of the race. He for sure has a ton of experience from last year. Um, Andrew uh, Simon also, yeah, he's, as you said, hit or miss a little bit like Azara on the women's side. Um, but yeah, I think that, especially as we were talking about, like, I think for the Spanish runners, it's almost, it, it feels almost like if you're here and you're Spanish, it's almost like you're operating on a different level than everyone else. Um, one, because it's sort of, I mean, you have the home language advantage, which is something to keep in mind. Like when you show, when an American, for example, shows up here and doesn't speak Spanish, um, like me, it's not, it doesn't feel as comfortable as if you're in a race and everyone around you is speaking your language. I can say from experience that when I started to learn more French, I felt much more comfortable and confident, like during races, when you not even at an aid station, but just the feeling that you kind of belong there, like you can communicate. And it's these kind of little like comfort things that do make a big difference in longer races. So yeah, that was all just to say, and of course the race is a huge deal with the Spaniards. So um, I almost want, I feel like when you're doing a prediction for this race, you kind of have to give some like bonus points to the Spanish. And of course, I'm, I mean, Miguel Arsenio is Portuguese, but similar kind of culture so you kind of have to give them some bonus points um because they're i think they're coming with a little bit more behind them almost who are your podium picks on the men's side oh i have <laughs> wow um i guess i i think i'm gonna say miguel arsenio because, yeah, I think he's just going to be a fun guy to watch. Um, Shen, if he can if he can execute until the end. And, and Zach, yeah. I think they I think the combination of experience and kind of past confidence i feel like when you're coming from a place of confidence from good results you kind of are able to keep the momentum going a little bit more maybe uh but there's also like i mean seth is going to be in that mix um but it's going to be hard to i think there's going to be a lot of moves made and it's going to be whoever makes the smartest decision for themselves Mm. that ultimately takes the higher finishing position yeah yeah, I think it's really tough because I think there's probably 10 guys in my mind who belong on the podium. I also probably need to check my American bias for Zach and Seth, who I think could win this race on any given day. But two of the last four years, there's been an American on the podium. So I feel like it's it's reasonable to go that route. Um, I'm almost identical to you. I've got Shen winning the race, Miguel second, and Zach third. So that's my podium. Yeah, I also have a huge um, North Face bias, obviously, with Shen, Zach, Seth. Um, yeah, Pau just had, um, well, his wife just had a baby last week. So 
that's why he's not here. But otherwise, of course, another North Face teammate favorite. Very cool. Well, Katie, this has been a pleasure uh, for the audience. If this preview has uh, either incited or renewed excitement for the race, go check out the live stream. I believe the race starts Thursday or Friday. I don't know what the time can be. Friday, Friday night, or yeah, Friday at eleven fifty nine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so maybe Thursday I guess it will be on in America. It'll still be it'll be Friday morning. I okay. Guess. Gotcha. Okay. Or afternoon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they'll they'll do a good job with the live. Um, they'll have tons of camera runners and plenty of places to watch. Make sure to go put in your fantasy free trail picks as well. And uh, yeah, Katie, thanks again. Hopefully we can do this again. I'm looking at our upcoming schedule, like maybe Madeira. Um, and then like, uh, I think Grand Ray would be fun too. So a couple more, hopefully. Euro islands. Track. Just We're just going to an island, island trend. <laughs> island track. <laughs> Great. Um, cool. Katie, thank you so much. And uh, have fun at the VK. Yeah, thank you. I keep forgetting it's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>